the Autism Journal podcast. I'm Robin Stewart and joining me today is Dr Rachel Mosley from Bournemouth University. Hi Rachel. Hello, thank you so much for having me here. We're here to talk about a paper which is really important and it's about autistic people's experience of the menopause. And as far as I know, and I think Ashley says this in the paper, this is the first paper that's ever been done asking autistic people their experience of the menopause is that right to our knowledge yes yes it's a it's a big oversight obviously I wrote a paper about periods a few years ago and lots of people asked me about the menopause in my 30s it wasn't something that I could focus on so I'm really delighted to have you on the podcast and that you've written this paper um first thing I wanted to talk about was you didn't have a exclusion criteria for non-formal diagnosis of autism and I think for this age group that's really important and I just wondered if you could tell me a bit about that please you're so right. I'm sure that your listeners will be very aware of the history around uh, autism um, in women and girls, because we, we know that um, for many years, autism was really, um, there was not very much knowledge around how it might present differently uh, in girls and women. So those people now reaching the age where they are uh, entering the menopause, they're the generation who, who weren't really recognised back then. So therefore, it's really, really important to not exclude them from research. Um, because uh, I suppose if, if you look back kind of historically on the development of the autism diagnostic uh, criteria, and not many women of menopausal age or older would have actually received a diagnosis. And there's a lot of barriers towards them actually getting a diagnosis in, in adulthood. So, yeah, it's I think it's just really important when considering um, when taking a kind of lifespan approach to autism research. You really need to look at the kind of historical context and the social context of the diagnostic criteria. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all so used to autism without a learning disability being possible but yes. that diagnostically wasn't really possible until 1994 um so that's you know it's important to remember that because the mean age of your participants i think was 63 um mm -hmm. and so a lot of those people would have been probably sort of in their late 20s 30s maybe even their 40s in 1994 and obviously we know when a, a new um diagnosis appears and it takes time for practitioners to uh, to learn about it um so so can you tell us a little bit about the um, structure of the study? Certainly. So basically, um, the study is part of uh, a kind of a larger uh, exploration because we decided to lead uh, a focus group to start with because we wanted to we wanted to know um, really whether there was whether there was much known about menopause in autism. So our own searching of the literature we found that we were quite shocked that there was there was absolutely nothing out there but we wanted to kind of come to the autistic community and see whether there was something we missed and maybe there was some um maybe there were resources within the community we found um it it came out from the from the participatory session that people had very different experiences but there were some some things that were coming out as quite um common features and what we were seeing is it was very interesting and in that it it made such a parallel with your paper robin in the sense of um people were finding that 
difficulties associated with being autistic, such as having um, sensory sensitivities, executive functioning difficulties, these were becoming worse with the menopause. Um, and in some cases, this actually led participants to realize that they were autistic. So they were finding um, with executive function, they were finding that their difficulties became much more severe. Um, they were finding um, new, new difficulties, um, for instance, with sensory sensitivities. They might find that they hadn't had a difficulty before. But suddenly with the menopause, all these new challenges were coming up. Mental health wise, they were finding um, they were much more reactive. So distress, um, they were having a, a decline in their mental health. And this would also impact on communication, um, on their relationships. So all in all, it was it came across that for a lot of people, the menopause could be a time of real turmoil and, and change and I don't know if you'll know the answer to this because I don't think it was part of the interview schedule but I'm just curious uh, did any of the participants say how they learnt about autism oh what a fantastic question um well this actually came out a little bit more in the um in the follow-up study which is not yet published but is on its way um and I would say that there was a few there were a few things that kind of led people to their their self-identifying and and or their their diagnostic assessment. Um, a very common one was that our participants had a relative uh, who was diagnosed. Um, sometimes it was their own child. And one of the things that was very interesting was that a lot of them said that um, they they had never really thought about what autism might look like uh, for a girl or a woman. They had ma male relatives and they had this kind of male uh, male presentation in their heads, which meant that they had never really connected with um, that this might be something that was relevant for them. But nevertheless, this uh, going through this process with their relative, uh, or seeing it in their relatives sort of opened their eyes. Um, they, we also found people who uh, had, had kind of come upon this diagnostic category um, through conversations uh, with healthcare professionals when, for instance, they had uh, mental health difficulties. And sometimes when, when the menopause happened and, and they had this real, uh, this real flare up difficulty, they discovered autism through that. So was there any trends in the kind of uh, mental health difficulties that the participants were experiencing? Yeah, they really were. Um, so some people were finding that mental health problems that they'd, they'd previously had were getting worse or flaring up. So they were having a lot more anxiety. They were having more depression. Um, a lot of people were saying that things like self-injury were increasing, was increasing, pardon me. Um, they were feeling um, more suicidal than they had been before. They were having more meltdowns because it was very difficult to, to deal with uncertainty and anxiety. Some people were saying that they actually had new mental health problems. So 
one participant, for instance, uh, experienced more panic, sorry, they experienced panic attacks for the first time. And um, the increase in suicidality and self-injury was a really kind of um, shocking and alarming finding for us. Um, in general, people were finding themselves to be much more emotionally reactive, so much more reactive to stress, for instance. Well, that's very interesting. I just wondered about, often we hear about young women um, being diagnosed with uh, eating disorders before being diagnosed as autistic, and they may well have an eating disorder as well, but it may be that the eating disorder has a bit of a different focus for that person, and it's often about... Um, control. Um, Jennifer Coco Tool writes about it really eloquently in um, uh, the introduction to Asper Kids. And I just wondered if there'd been, if you'd noticed anything like that in this cohort. Right, that's so interesting. Um, I'm, I'm doing some research on eating disorders and autism because it's such an interesting area. So in this cohort, um, we, we had participants who um, we, we took a kind of historic mental health history. And so we did have participants, several, who reported that they had had eating disorders in the past. No one mentioned their eating disorder worsening. Uh, so my last question is for practitioners that maybe they're working in mental health or maybe they're working in general practice uh, or maybe they're providing support to people. Is there any sort of advice or information that you've learned from the participants that you could pass on to them? Yeah, so I think, well, <laughs> I think some major work needs to be done in listening to autistic experiences of the menopause, because one thing that came out of this was that we just don't know enough about it. So we don't know about what, what the unique features of autistic menopause might be. But a few things that did come out of it was perhaps helping people before before the onset of menopause. So say if a doctor has a, an autistic patient, one of the things that would be really valuable might be working with that patient to help them realize what is normal for them in terms of their gynecological health. What's normal for them? A lot of our participants found it very difficult to identify when menopause was happening because they they, they didn't really have that social network that I've mentioned to kind of figure out, is this a normal thing? Is this menopause? Is this just me? So helping them figure out um, this is what my normal is. Therefore, they can identify when there's a change in that. That could be quite valuable. I think other things would be just to be very aware of, um, and this is, this is quite a broad point, but I think Something that um, came out in our in our sessions uh, and that we didn't we didn't address in depth in this study, but a really crucial thing is that our participants expressed that um, they had difficulties communicating their experience, but they recognised that the experiences of autistic people with intellectual disabilities, um, people who would have even more difficulties communicating their experiences. Menopause could be such a, a traumatic time for these people. And so I suppose I would encourage doctors to, if they have an autistic patient, to really see them within their lifespan um, as, 
as an adult, as someone who's aging. I think that sometimes people, certainly when someone has an intellectual disability, they can really fail to see them maturing in a sense. Um, and so I think doctors need to be aware that the menopause is a huge issue uh, for people generally. And so I think sometimes people, they perhaps don't really see autistic people um, as maturing in the same way. They don't notice these same processes are going to be happening for autistic people too. Um, so I suppose just being very aware of the menopause as something that is going to shake this person's life up, being aware of the, the mental health consequences, executive function consequences, sensory consequences. I, I think those are the, 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 the top things I would say for now. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I think it's great advice. Well, thank you so much, Reggie. I could carry on talking to you for ages, but um, we're making the podcast short so that they're easily digestible by people. So we're going to have to finish the con. Not that people are going to eat them, but <laughs> so that they're easy to listen to. I think that's what it means. Um, but thank you very much for talking to me. Um, if any of the listeners out there would like to find out more about the Autism Journal, you can go to journals.sagepub.com forward slash page forward slash aut, uh, which is AUT. Uh, and you can uh, look at the Autism Journal on Facebook, uh, just search Autism Journal, and Twitter at Journal Autism. I'm Robin Stewart, and I've been the host of the Autism Journal podcast. Thank you very much to the production team, and thank you very much to Rachel. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.